talking about Iveson's Legacy. This week, we're in our second last episode before break, which means, like every year, we'll be talking about the budget. Plus, Mayor Iveson's finishing up his second last year as mayor, and Taproot sat down to talk with him and wrap up the year. We'll play you some of that interview. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. I'm Emily. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speak Municipally, episode 110. As we said off the top, this is our penultimate episode for this year. That also means it is our last episode of the year with news. Frequent listeners will know exactly what is coming next week. Lots of fun. Now, on to the most important news, the rapid fire. This week, when Grant Hunter, Associate Minister of Red Tape Reduction, was changing his license plate registration sticker, as he peeled off the covering of the adhesive side, he came to a sickly realization. Just like how a hot dog is a sandwich, so too is a sticker actually a piece of tape. And whoa, as he took a second look, he realized the color of the sticker was red. Anyway, long story short, even though he drafted up a typical proportional UCP response to the problem, his plan was to completely abolish vehicle registration, licensing, and other clear infringement upon Albertans' constitutionally protected rights, Cabinet managed to talk him down after they realized that registries are privatized and they would be destroying private sector jobs, not public ones. Instead, there will simply be no more license plate stickers ever. The Canadian military is preparing for the possible deployment of reservists to the Prairie Provinces as early as Saturday. Reservists have been instructed to complete training by December 12th and to be ready for deployment. However, through Minister Shandro's office, the province has confirmed that they did not request military assistance, and at least in Edmonton, leaders are baffled. A high-level city official confirmed on the condition of anonymity that military would not be necessary, saying, any other time, sure, we welcome the help, but right at this moment, we've postponed the war on cars. Look at Candy Cane. Sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, one second. I'm going to start that one. Look at Candy Cane Lane. It's car only. If the pandemic is providing anything, it's a brief detente in the war achieved through using cars as PPE. This week, after both Edmonton and Calgary mayors publicly declared their intentions to impose lockdown-style measures on their respective cities should the province not take action, Jason Kenney announced that the Alberta government would be imposing stricter measures province-wide. With the new normal of dysfunctional relationships with the municipal affairs ministers and the broader Alberta government, the two big city mayors were stoked to find a tactic that actually works, saying, neener, neener, I'll do it again if you don't. Edmonton City Council this week has scheduled an emergency meeting where Don Iveson will step down and let Rachel Notley take over his duties, unless the province does it first. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. And this episode is brought to you by The Shared Mic, which we're doing this week. Did you see how three of us are sharing the mic? That's not the topic of the podcast, though. We'll tell you about that in the ad, which I'm reading now. Everyone has a story. The narratives of Edmontonians provide a rich patchwork of experience that make our city a beautiful place to call home. A podcast called Age-Friendly Edmonton, The Shared Mic, Conversations for the Ages, is providing a platform for people of different ages and backgrounds to share their stories. Listen to riveting intergenerational conversations on topics including cultivating friendships, building careers, exploring virtual theater, volunteerism, and more. Season two of The Shared Mic is out now, and it's available Apple, Google, Spotify, or, you know, wherever you get your podcasts. The Shared Mic is brought to you by the Edmonton Seniors Coordinating Council and the City of Edmonton. You know, we really got to rethink how we do governance in the City of Edmonton and how we, as speaking municipally, cover it, because you and I are both ready to wind down for the end of the year, relax, and 
as I'm frantically writing Jeopardy questions for the end of the year show, we have a bunch of budget stuff to cover, which just really doesn't align with my slacktivist goal setting. No, Council had a full day of budget discussions on Wednesday this week, and they've got more to finish on Friday. So we're recording this on Thursday evening, right in between. They made very good progress to the budget. They are on track for a 0% increase for 2021. Uh, but there's still a few more things to do. And of course, we have to hear them all give their final closing statements on the budget, uh, which will happen sometime on Friday. So the big budget items this year were obviously the 0% that council was targeting. And like you said, we're on track to hit that. But there were, I would say, probably three big items, one of them being the bus network redesign, which we talked about the idea that administration might be cutting some buses from the new high frequency plan. There was the mature neighborhood rinks and pools. And there was the police budget, that big looming, are we going to defund it? Are we going to leave it? So let's talk about some of the big ones. Well, just very quickly before that, we should say that you've pointed out three out of 94 strategies that administration proposed to cut costs and try to get to that 0% because council had previously approved 3.2% for the tax increase for 2021. So to get it down to zero, they came up with 94 things. And the fact that we're only talking about three suggests that there's probably a lot of things that we should have cut previously. Like council did not have issue with most of the suggestions on the list. Yes, bus network redesign was one of the three big items that you mentioned. Um, they proposed cutting service hours for peak and rapid routes in the bus network redesign once it comes into effect next year. And this would have saved just under a million dollars next year and just under half a million dollars in 2022. Council um, ultimately decided that's not a good suggestion uh, and unanimously and unanimously rejected it. And uh, both the mayor and Councillor Knack spoke to the item and, and framed it as a way of council showing support for city plan. The mayor said he was concerned maybe by uh, some of the comments that he'd seen in response to the city plan, which of course council uh, officially approved and, and passed third reading of earlier this week, um, that perhaps they had a document that had a strategy, but they weren't following through on that when it comes time to actually choosing where you're going to put your money. And so they use this as a as a way to say, well, if we're going to have 15-minute neighborhoods, we need to have service to back it up and look at us approving something we had already approved. You mentioned that the approval of this, and, you know, budget gets a little bit weird because council doesn't propose these cuts, administration proposes these cuts, and then council agrees or disagrees through motion. So, yeah, you know, who's at fault at any given point gets a little murky, but council voted to keep the bus network as originally designed without these additional cuts that administration proposed. And like you said, that was unanimous. And that wasn't the only unanimous thing. The pools and neighborhood rec centers, those were unanimously saved. And we've talked at length about these things. I don't think we need to rehash that. I think it was obvious to us that it was either going to get canned finally or saved unanimously. And it was saved unanimously. And the other thing that was saved unanimously was spay and neuter programs, which administration was proposing saving $100,000 by not fixing some animals when they are collected off the streets. Bob Barker would be, again, very disappointed in Edmonton, uh, first Lucy and then this, but council opted to keep that. And it makes one wonder if administration, when they're drafting this budget, because like you said, there's 90-some items that are proposed for cuts, do they give us some really bad 
we're definitely going to reject the ones to make the rest more palatable. Because I don't think there's anyone in their reasonable right mind that would say, yeah, $100,000, let's stop spaying and neutering animals. Or a million dollars, let's neuter the entire bus network redesign before it gets off the ground. These things just don't seem to track. Maybe. I mean, the largest proposed cut that administration made was $18.2 million in what they call workforce reductions, which are essentially layoffs and not filling vacancies. So, I mean, that's a pretty bad number. And Councillor Nickel, among others, was you know, concerned about uh, cutting frontline service as part of this budget. So, I mean, they didn't try to hide that or anything. I think they probably know that those pools and things are going to get lots of attention and lots of headlines and people are going to get worked up about those. And does that mean that maybe we overlook other parts of the budget? That's a possibility. As with most years with budget, like you said, we haven't gotten to the councillors' closing statements where they really ham it up for the camera. That isn't there. Councillors, I'll remind you, very few people care about what you're doing right now, but I digress. When counselors are in chambers talking about some of this stuff, they tend to make a bit of a scene. And no one is more adept at making a scene, especially about nothing, than good old Mike Nickel. And there was a bit of a scene, a kerfuffle, a baffling Zadok-esque rant on a nonsensical plan. Am I characterizing that right? Yeah, the words that the mayor used when the whole thing started were procedural fracas. And uh, as we know, the mayor loves to call people on procedural rules and he, you know, wields his knowledge of governance like no other. And uh, I think he had a lot of enjoyment out of this at first, although it did go on quite a bit longer than he thought. So like I said, I listened all day and it was pretty boring for the most part. And then we got to almost dinner time, and uh, Councillor Nickel made this proposal to try to avoid making any of the cuts that were on the table that council, for the most part, had agreed with, as we said, and also offer a, a 2% tax reduction in 2021. And the way that he was going to do that was by taking money out of the EdTel Endowment Fund. So this is a fund that was set up in 1995 when the city sold Edmonton telephones to TELUS. It's grown over the years to nearly $900 million, and it pays a dividend to the city every single year. So every single year, part of our taxes are lower because part of the budget is covered by the dividends that we get from this fund. Anyway, Councillor Nickel wanted to rate it. He, he said, we should just take money out of this, and it can do these things. And it was at first kind of ruled out of order, and then the mayor decided to allow it to go ahead. And then we got into this whole discussion, and basically everyone in council piled on talking about what a terrible idea it was. Councillor McKean said that if he could vote no twice to this, he would. At one point, the mayor was clearly ready to move on. He asked if anyone had any more questions. Good old Councillor Knack stood up and said, I do. So they were forced to move a second round. Um, but it's probably good that they did because Councillor Knack really took the proposal to task and pointed out a number of the things that were wrong with it. And ultimately, it failed 12 to 1 with Nickel being the only person voting in favor of his motion, but not before he called everyone and all of the other things they had talked about throughout the day completely absurd and reckless. You said Councillor Knack effectively broke down why this sounds like a bad idea. What were some of the reasons there? Because sitting from where I'm sitting, if we've got $900 million in a bank account, why shouldn't we use some of that? Why is this not a good idea? So this fund is set up 
to provide income to the city in perpetuity. So they want this thing to continue to grow and to continue to be able to provide that dividend. They've got a whole policy that outlines how we get money from this through the dividend uh, every single year. And Councillor Nack, Councillor Paquette, Councillor Henderson, a number of them talked about how if we did this, we'd basically be robbing from future generations to pay for uh, something now. Because if we deplete that fund, we're going to get less dividends from it every year. It's not going to grow as quickly and we won't have as much money in the future. So that's one of the reasons why. The other reason that a number of people pointed out, including the mayor, is the impact that this would have on taxes. Because essentially, in order to repay the money or to cover off the impacts of this proposal, there would be a 5.4% tax increase after next year's election. And in 2022, the tax increase to cover this would probably have to go up to about 7%. And Councillor Knack pointed out, well, no, actually it would be higher than that because you have to remember that with a smaller principal, we'd get less dividends as well. And so really what Councillor Nickel was in effect trying to do is say, well, let's make it look like we didn't have to cut anything and lower taxes heading into the election and then deal with having to increase taxes after you know that new council and mayor is already elected. Benefit of the doubt, Councillor Nickel doesn't like to raise taxes. Perhaps he was simply suggesting that we don't replenish the endowment fund and simply straight up rob future generations. That could have been a legitimate option, although I found it quite humorous after I did a bit of research on this that they had this whole discussion. And then I looked at the bylaw finally, and I don't think they could have done anything anyway, because the only way they can withdraw money from this fund if it's not a dividend, which is already predefined and pre-described how they do that, is by amending the bylaw, which means it must be advertised and go to public hearing, which means it wouldn't be done in time for them to approve the budget for this year. As we went through and we tried to nickel and dime certain programs, pull from endowments, a little bit of money here or there, what happened to the elephant in the room, the 300 plus million dollars that goes to the police budget? What happened there? So far, nothing. So you'll recall in the summer, council uh, approved an $11 million decrease to the increase that the police are already scheduled to get because we have this uh, funding formula that predefines how it predescribes how much uh, of an increase uh, the police service is going to get every budget cycle. So it's 0.6% going into 2021. Um, So we know they're going to get a $10.8 million increase. That's the 0.6% less the five and a half that they recently uh, decreased. So I've seen some posts on the internet suggesting that the police have requested an increase of 10.8. That's not really true because this was decided long ago. And the reason they've got this funding formula is so that when we get to budget time, we don't have these contentious discussions about um, the largest budget line item and that um, we can ensure that that is funded on a yearly basis. I don't think that's the right decision. And I think actually we probably should get rid of that funding formula. And because it is the largest part of the budget, it should be up for debate every single year. But it's not. This year, the police were scheduled to uh, speak before council at 1.30 p.m. on Wednesday. They showed up. Not a single councillor had any questions. They were promptly dismissed. And the whole police part of the discussion took about five minutes. So there's a chance that on Friday, somebody on council could, uh, just like uh, Councillor Nickel did, make a sort of last-minute motion and suggest that we decrease it. But it seems very unlikely at this point that anything is going to happen with the police budget. Well... Cool. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, 
after the year we've had, after everything that has come out locally and internationally about municipal policing and police budgets, to spend five minutes tops on police budgets in a contentious budget, I think that is all you get, Edmonton City Council. You get a cool. Yeah. I mean, it is completely insane, actually, that the largest part of the budget doesn't get discussed. And I don't believe any of those 94 reduction strategies were about the police. Like, were they not asked to submit them? This should clearly be a discussion. If we're having to make incredible cuts because we're faced with unprecedented economic uncertainty, it would seem that we would look at the place we spend the most money as one of the places that we would cut rather than you know, inner city facilities, libraries, all of the other places that we've been forced to cut as a city. One of the places we're being forced to cut is in our quantity of Don Iveson's in the upcoming year. Uh, he has announced that he will not be running for mayor in 2021, nor will he run for council, I suppose, either. But he sat down with Taproot for an end-of-year interview, and we have Emily, Taproot's managing editor, who sat down with the mayor to discuss some of that, and she's joining us to recap some of his thoughts and talk us through some of it. Hey, Emily, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Well, you know... We discussed my state of mind with dealing with budgets and then the police budget. So I'm curmudgeonly. I think that's the best description. So talk to me about your interview with Don Iveson. Yeah. So I spoke with our mayor on November 24th, which was the day right after he announced he wasn't going to run for re-election in next year's municipal election. Yeah. So we, we started off by talking about that. And obviously that was kind of the news of the day at that time. I think some people are probably still talking about that. But, uh, you know, he told me that he made that decision, like we, we've heard from other news outlets, because of family. He only ever intended to run and lead for two terms. He did consider a third term because of COVID and you know everything that's happening economically uh, in the city. But ultimately, he made that decision that you know he's he's going to focus on family life and wrap things up after his two terms. But he has been in office since 2013 as mayor, so he's had you know definitely quite a bit of time, as you know, you've been spent a lot of time talking about it to uh, work on the city and, you know, kind of work on the priorities that he's identified as areas that he wants Edmonton to continue being great in and, and get better in. He identified some of those top areas that he thinks really have come far since he became mayor in 2013. I'm really happy with where the city is at on a number of the different fronts that I came here to work on, our work around climate change, our work around housing and ending chronic homelessness, our work around integrity reforms at City Hall for lobbying and, and a code of conduct for council, and the city plan ultimately, which ties a whole bunch of our aspirations, including how to grow more cost effectively with a lower greenhouse gas footprint and a healthier and more fun city over time. I really feel like a lot of what I came here to do is cemented at this point. And now a fresh set of ideas and perspectives is called for and a deliberate decision for the city next fall about where to go. Yeah. So as you just heard, he feels like the city is in a good spot heading into the next election and, and thinks it's ready for a fresh set of eyes. So really in terms of when he decided that fell, I think a lot of people had questions around that and you know why that week in particular. And I did ask him that and he said that it it had something to do with, you know, wanting to make sure there was enough time for people who are perhaps interested in running for mayor to make that decision and to mull it over, think about it now that they know that he's not running. Because I know 
for sure there are probably some candidates that their decision hinged on that a little bit. And also he wanted to make sure that key business was taken care of before he made that announcement. So he mentioned like the city plan, which obviously was recently approved and also naming Edmonton's new city manager. So the new city manager, Andre Korbold, is currently a deputy minister of education at the province, and he's going to take over the job in the new year. Troy and I touched on this briefly in a previous episode and, and don't know much about him, except we know that he's a military guy. And I understand that is something that maybe appealed to the mayor. Yeah, for sure. The mayor did talk about that. So I asked the mayor about Andre Korbold, and he did talk about his you know nearly 30-year military career and, and how helpful that's going to be. There's a specific quote that comes to mind where he talks about his military experience. He has this brilliant strategic mind. And the nice thing that Iveson talked about as well is that, you know, he is a bit of an outsider and that he hasn't been involved directly as a city employee before. He's bringing a fresh take on, you know, what's been going on in the city, the COVID-19 situation, the economic state of Edmonton. So I think that he, Iveson feels really positive that that's going to be helpful going into 2021 and beyond. And he also talked about after the announcement was made, some of the testimonials that came in from people who've worked with him in the past, I think he told a story about, you know, on Christmas Day, Andre Corbold showed up with coffee for a bunch of employees. And so he talked about how like he's known for like really being able to recognize people when they need it and getting to know people really well and building those relationships. So he talked about, you know, when those testimonials came in, it really confirmed that they had made the right choice. And he said that he was sad that he won't obviously have a very long time to actually work with him, given when Andre Korbold starts, they'll have about 10 months together. So it'll just be the beginning of his career. I think the most important takeaway from that was that Iveson said really his most important job going into, you know, taking on this new role is getting to know the organization and the people in it. You'll really have to focus on the people that drive the success of the city and leading them compassionately through some very difficult, very difficult changes that are going to result from the pandemic. And then I would say, you know, really solidifying the role of the city within the region and what we can do from a investment attraction point of view and a competitiveness point of view that actually aligns pretty well with the provincial government's priorities and the federal government's priorities. I would say that this year, probably a pretty big piece of key business for the city was dealing with Black Lives Matter and the unrest in terms of municipal policing and police's interaction with the community and police violence, both in Edmonton and in the province and around the world. And one of the critiques that both Mac and I have had in the past is with this new community safety task force, which seemed to us like another entry in the long laundry list of committees that don't do anything. Perhaps we're not quite charitable enough. How does the mayor see that? Well, we didn't actually get too into detail on the task force, unfortunately, because we were a little tight on time. But I did ask the mayor what I thought was a pretty important question around what it was like to sit in that public hearing and hear from, you know, community advocates, police, business owners, lawyers, academics, former police commissioners about the systemic racism and where really policing in Edmonton is headed. I asked him about that. And I think his first answer was that listening to Edmontonians speak during the hearing was really heartbreaking. And he talked about hearing, especially like when this hearing happened, was just on the heels of what had happened to George Floyd, uh, you know, 
There's lots of people who talked about other violence in the community. So he talked to me about what it was like to hear those stories and and the realization that there really is a huge amount of work to be done in this area, which I think everyone agrees on, or hopefully everyone agrees on. So as we know, that personal testimony of, I think it was more than 80 Edmontonians, did lead to the commitment by the city to look at those issues through the task force that you just mentioned. But Iveson talked about the main takeaway that he had was really about how important it is that racism itself is dealt with. The point that really resonated with me goes back to some of what we learned in the community engagement around End Poverty Edmonton, which was that, of course, you need, you know, childcare and you need income support and you need enhanced mobility and better transit for people and you need housing for folks and you need to remove a variety of different barriers for people engaging with these complex systems. But fundamentally, you know, over and over again through that, we heard if you don't deal with racism, you can't really get at the deepest root cause of why some folks are more marginalized from fully participating in community life than others. But to hear that personal testimony and to hear the anguish of feeling othered and and outside and the anger at what is seen to be the system even violating and, and injuring and, and sometimes ending lives, you know, it was, it was heart-wrenching. So turning to the mayor's legacy, something I've talked about a number of times recently is that it's not about transit, it's about the region. And I think his work on the regional file is going to be something that we'll look back on as a pretty critical accomplishment of his. Did you get to talk to him about the region and and how things look there? I did. And I actually started out by asking him about that in that way, if he felt like his legacy would be the region. He talked, as we've heard before, that, you know, he feels that Edmonton has been isolated and alienated from urban and rural neighbors in the past. And, you know, sometimes that's been deliberate, sometimes it's been circumstantial, but, you know, he really feels like it has been to Edmonton's detriment. So a lot of his work has been around that in terms of building up those allies, especially in terms of, you know, keeping in mind the power dynamics that all municipalities around Edmonton are working in. So we know about, you know, joint approaches to economic development and transit, among other things. Edmonton Metropolitan Region Board's growth plan is something that Iveson talked about in terms of guiding Edmonton and the communities around it and the growth there. And Iveson does believe that that's going to result in a stronger, more cost-efficient, more focused region. And so the goal is that instead of this race to the bottom that he talked about for different kinds of growth, there's this increasing sense of solidarity with our municipal neighbors around Edmonton. And he did say there is still more work to do around that in terms of being able to buy things together and realize greater efficiencies and how to share those benefits. And really in the coming months, especially as he heads into this final year, so really as he heads into these last couple months as mayor, that's really going to be one of his main priorities. There's still more work to do to get into buying more things together and and realizing greater efficiencies and sharing the benefits. So it's not so much of a win-lose proposition as growth comes asymmetrically to the region. And so that's still going to be a significant focus for me in the next few months is trying to drive home 
another layer of collaboration and integration, which there is some fear of in the region because people say, well, that's just a prelude to amalgamation. But what I've been working really hard to do is create conditions for us to get the benefits of consolidation without all of the political pain of it, which can take a generation for a region to get over. So I'm trying to get all those benefits of working together done. So we had talked earlier briefly about legacy. And with politicians, it's always hard to get them to say the word legacy. We all know from watching House of Cards and The West Wing that the only thing politicians are thinking of in the back rooms is, what will my legacy be? But to get that in public is always very passe. Did you manage to ask him about his legacy and get an answer about what he thinks his legacy might be? So I did ask him about his legacy. And like a lot of leaders, he said he's never wanted to leave from the perspective of actually trying to build a legacy. But if he had to narrow in on one thing, it would really be about building a city that he's proud to live in, that he's proud to raise his two young kids, Dexter and Alice, in, and that they can grow up and uh, be proud of, of Edmonton and know that people want to stay here and move here. I want this city that I grew up in and benefited so much from to be the kind of place where people don't even think twice about why they would want to stay or, or why people would want to move here. And I think the most uh, moving feedback for me yesterday was hearing from particularly young Edmontonians, including some folks who aren't in our city right now and have left and may come back, may not, but who are fiercely proud of what this city has become over the last decade or so and resolved in many cases to want to come into leadership themselves and carry on that work. So so that next generation is seeing that and lifting up that mantle and wanting to carry it forward. And if if somebody says that's the legacy, I'm happy. I think over the years, the mayor has been remarkably consistent in his messaging around that idea that he's building a city uh, for his kids. So I suppose it shouldn't be surprised that uh, he sees that as his lasting legacy. Mm-hmm. So having talked to the mayor at the end of the line, as it were, he's got a year left, but part of that's going to be crazy season. What was your sense for how he was feeling? What was his demeanor? Because, you know, when he was elected, he was a youthful young whippersnapper, fresh <laughs> out of college. And was he like, 2008 Obama? Was he 2012 Obama? Was he 2016? Geez, I'm done with this Obama. On a scale of one to 10, how resigned and tired did he look? Yeah, so he he said that he's more focused than ever. And that decision to not run in the next municipal election really means that he can focus on, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic, on the economic issues, on some of the projects that he wants to see wrapped up uh, in this last year. And, you know, he also talked about, I think, a direct quote from him, you know, I'm not going to take my foot off the gas with regional collaboration, as we heard when we talked about the region earlier. And so he's also hopeful that, you know, with that renewed focus and prioritizing those things as opposed to an election, that he's hopeful that some of the mayors in the municipalities around Edmonton will see that and that they've only got a few more months to negotiate with him. So maybe that'll create uh, a little bit of urgency in terms of finalizing some of those deals as well. But yeah, overwhelmingly, it sounds like he's, you know, really just ready to get to work for these last 10 months and uh, doesn't seem like he's checked out at all. Well, he may not be, but By golly, we are. But not before we read this ad. 
We are glad to be a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, which has dozens of great podcasts for you to listen to over the holidays. One of them that you should definitely check out is called That's a Thing, a sometimes belated, already outdated guide to your teens, tweens, and everything under 20. It's hosted by Taproot co-founder Karen Unland and her daughter Elizabeth. The most recent episode explains the strange resurrection of early 2000s cartoon Clone High. You can check it out wherever you get your podcasts, and you should also follow them on Twitter at That's a Thing Yeg. So that's all for this week. Like we said, next week we've got the episode. We look at the download stats. We know that these are the most listened to episodes of all of Speaking Municipally. So that makes me personally very happy. I recall in the opener to season two when I did a Broadway musical parody because that was another thing I was passionate about and that was our least listened to <laughs> segment. So didn't work. I'm glad at least one of my passions aligns with listener interests. Another thing that listeners might be interested in is we've got a new Taproot website out. Tell us about that, Mac. Yeah, we've recently relaunched our website. We've integrated all the journalism, all the membership and reader services into one. So you can find out all of our journalism now in one place, podcasts, roundups, original articles. You can find the feature that Emily wrote based on her interview uh, with Mayor Iveson that we talked about in this episode and all the other great things that we're doing. You can still go to taprootedmonton.ca, but we've also got a new domain that it'll redirect you to at edmonton.taproot.news. That's all for this year, basically. We'll see you next week for the season closer. Uh, it'll be a wonderful close to the year. Dare I say it, Mac? I don't know if I'm off base here. Hasn't been a great year. Yeah, I think that's a fair comment, Troy. Well, we're going to end it on a great note, ideally. Tune in next week to hear all about that. Until then, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. I'm Emily. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Municipally.